The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. The Forever Fab podcast values truth and authenticity. We encourage our guests to show up exactly as they are, as the best version of themselves. Please note, this podcast episode contains adult language. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome to the Forever Fab podcast, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madare, the founder of Holistic Plastic Surgery, and I am your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. This week's episode is dedicated to our inner goddess, and our topic is on fertile ground, harnessing feminine power for health and happiness. Welcome to my interview with Kirsten Karchmer. Kirsten Karchmer is, boy, a health tech pioneer, a women's health expert, and the founder and CEO of Forever Brazen. Her story's underlying thread is that of helping to enrich women's and girls' lives. In a previous career, she was a linguist. Later, as a reproductive acupuncturist and herbalist, in the last 20 years, Kirsten has helped over 10,000 women struggling with infertility to conceive by using information based on their periods. Though she no longer does fertility work, she has carried on her work with helping women to understand their bodies and their menstrual power, their natural power, to be frank. Most recently, she wrote a book called Seeing Red, the one book every woman needs to read, period. Don't you love that title? I love that title. <laughs> and it is available on Amazon.com, of course. And she currently formulates supplements combining the best of Western medicine and traditional Chinese medicine to help manage menstrual symptoms. And that's available on her website, foreverbrazen.com. I just want to dig right in. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. You and I could probably talk for three hours. So I'm just really excited to have a conversation. And, you know, I know we're already kindred spirits because, you know, I'm forever fab and you're forever brazen. I mean, you know, there's something here. There's something right. here. <laughs> it's the positivity of, of aging and longevity. Absolutely. Aging agelessly. How's that? I oh, love it. We've got a lot to talk about. Okay. We're digging right in. So tell me about your history, your childhood. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I was a competitive athlete. I was a gymnast and then a competitive tennis player, like wow. ruthless athlete, just training and eight, 10 hours a day for my whole childhood. Um, I was a, the child of five um, children, an Irish Catholic family. 
And um, so I was sort of four siblings above me and then 10 years in myself. So I was sort of that like raised by wolves. And that, <laughs> you know, everybody was sort of tired of raising children. So I had a lot of freedom. And uh, yeah, and then I was diagnosed with MS when I was about 20 years old. And that was a big uh, abrupt shift for me going from being so active to, you know, not being able to walk um, without a cane for a long time. And that was a really probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I was incredibly sick for a long time. And um, I ended up I had a job teaching it. So I was a linguist at UT and um, I w had gotten a job at Seoul National University in Korea for a year as a visiting professor. I was teaching wow. Korean English professors how to teach English to Korean students. And um, and I had been doing the Korean Special Forces training, which <laughs> is um, with my cane. The reason I picked that because I didn't realize Korea is one of the safest places you'll ever go. You don't need any martial arts for Korea. It's, everyone is so incredibly beautiful and kind. But I didn't know, you know, as a kid yeah. still. So I thought, well, I want to do a martial art that they use canes so that I could sort of weaponize my disability. <laughs> And uh, and so I thought that was pretty cool. And one of my classmates was in acupuncture school and she was like, you really need to go to my teacher. I think he can help you. And I was like, that's stupid. Acupuncture is never going to do anything. I've already had, I had a blood patch that wouldn't close and it was leaking. Yeah. And, and I was like, I already had surgery. This isn't, acupuncture isn't, it's like going to a psychic. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a real jerk, you know, in the meeting with the doctor. But in the end, he said something so profound after he felt my pulse and I was rolling my eyes and hemming and hawing the whole time. And he said, here's the deal. When you were born, your constitution was very strong and you're, you, because you had MS when you were born, but it was very weak compared to your constitution. You're very formidable. Mm -hmm. And he said, but you trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and you thought you were getting stronger, but actually you were getting weaker. Whoa. Your mind was strong and your muscles were strong, but your organs were getting exhausted every single day. And that gave an opportunity for your MS to get stronger and stronger. And finally, when you turned 18 years old, your disease became stronger than your constitution. And that's what got you to where you are today. My job is to help you make your constitution stronger than your disease. And maybe we can help you go into remission. Whoa. And then that was what happened. And then I became an acupuncturist after that. There you go. I mean, you know, that's, first of all, I have to applaud you, your bravery, your resilience, um, everything that you went through, but particularly that you said that this MS was one of the best things that happened to you. It reminds me of being on the spiritual path, right? And, and we don't have to get spiritual, but sometimes things happen, like bad things happen that shake your foundation, that really throw you for a loop. And yet we don't often recognize that that op there's an opportunity in that. It's just disguised as a loss. Or Absolutely. Well, I think that, um, right? I think that sometimes when people aren't familiar with that conversation, they, they think like, somehow you think like, well, I'm to blame for that, or I, I deserved it, or I wanted it, or... I mean, I would argue some parts of you do want things to happen. Um, you know, people are like, why do you think you got MS? And I was like, probably because I wanted to lay down a lot. <laughs> I'm tired, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, um, but, but I think that when there are hard times, there is always grace. 
Yeah. Like there's all, I mean, even in the pandemic, there has been so much grace. There's been a lot of horrible things happening for so many people everywhere, but there has been grace and we can't control what happens, but we can control how we relate with what happens. And we can put all of our attention on capturing the grace and savoring it and trying to manage the shit as much as possible or suffering without it. Yeah. And that's the only place we have power in, but, but it's a lot of power. Yeah. I mean, to, to recognize that we have power in our choice and how we choose to respond to something, no matter how bad or no matter how good. I have to admit, I mean, it's a difficult lesson. I, I still have a hard time with it and it remains a, a work in progress for me, but I agree with you. It is absolutely empowering once you're able to do that. Wow. And speaking of, you know, learning and speaking of growing and evolving through experiences, life experiences, what would you say have been or are the most valuable lessons you learned um, either about yourself or about women in general when you work as a reproductive acupuncturist with infertility? I mean, I imagine working, you know, with, with patients in that field, there's so much anxiety and, and desperation and desire. So what were some of the valuable lessons that you learned during that period? No pun intended. Well, I really, yeah, um, there's, it's rife with opportunities. Yes. <laughs> That's a great question, actually. I, um, I mean, I'm a voracious learner, and I, I think that every day you just learn so much. But what some of the things that I realized was that, that most of the people that I worked with in my career thought they were healthy. Mm. So they say, I'm, I don't know why I'm, the doctor says I have unexplained infertility. I'm really healthy. I'm a vegan. I, um, I do CrossFit twice a day. Um, you know, I eat mostly salads and smoothies and uh, yeah, I'm super healthy. I'm like, but how's your period? And they're like, it's a complete shit storm. I'm like, well, then you're not healthy. Right. And so sort of what the takeaway for me was that it's really important. Like my job is to help women and people with periods to understand that your menstrual cycle is a barometer of your health. Yeah, it is. It's actually an instrument of unfair advantage because every single month your period will tell you how much it likes or dislikes the way that you're caring for it. No matter what book tells you that it's the right way to care for your body, your period will not lie to you. And it might get better. Like some people will say like, um, like I, I feel like it's very hard for females to be vegan. I mean, people with periods to be vegan, yeah. only because often they're they're exercising a lot. They just can't get the concentration, and like they have to work very hard to get it right. And um, and because I saw a very very high percentage of of w- mostly women, I didn't have any trans patient in my clinic, so I want to be sensitive there. But um, who who were vegan, and you know, you can see it in their menstrual blood. They're like, oh ideally you have four days of bleeding soaking a tampon or a pad every four hours and they'd have like a half a day of bleeding and they would think that was a good thing they're like no my period's so easy just have like a half day of bleeding i'm like but that means there's no lining Uh, the volume of blood tells us very clearly how robustly you either your the quality and quantity of food that you're eating is and your ability to take that food, break it down, extract the nutrients, make marrow, make blood, and make a uterine lining. And so if we can pay really careful attention to that, then uh, that can allow us to use diagnostic work that requires no lab work, that requires nothing special. I mean, my whole work now is about how do we democratize access to health? 
And so we can use a lot of testing to understand some things, but actually Chinese medicine came from more than, you know, 2000, maybe as more as much as 5,000 years ago where there were no labs, no tests, all user collected data and observational data and is actually really good at it. Yeah. So, sorry, my son popped in. No worries. All good. Pandemic podcasting. I was like, get out of here. <laughs> I love it. So, so that's what I learned that, um, that I think that most people with periods relate with it as a curse that most people think that a period is something just to be endured and preferably covered up or eliminated. And that there's, you know, that they don't realize that using oral contraceptives to manage menstrual cycles is, is an, a missed opportunity to have greater insight to your overall health and the opportunity to fix them. Because the majority of menstrual conditions are highly correlated with the diseases that are most likely to kill us like diabetes, heart disease, estrogen-dependent cancer, um, stroke, and suicide. And so when we cover it up with oral contraceptives, I'm not saying that I love oral contraceptives for prevention of unplanned preg unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. When you use it to like correct menstrual problems, yeah. correct. they take oral contraceptives for 10 or 15 years, and then they get off, and then there's a big shitstorm again. The period has gotten worse because they haven't had to deal with it. And then like, oh, no, now I can't get pregnant. Yeah. So that was a long answer. Sorry, no, it's a, it's a great answer, and I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I mean, I went to medical school, right? I'm a physician, and I'm embarrassed, ashamed, whatever the word may be, to say that I never understood, and maybe it was on me, but I never understood that a menstrual cycle could be used as a barometer for your holistic health. I mean, you just made a connection, essentially, between your digestion, your microbiome, and your menstruation. I never heard that before. It's because I invented it, baby. <laughs> but it makes total sense. Everything mm -hmm. is related. Everything is connected. And you're right. How did the you know physicians from thousands of years ago be able to you know manage illnesses and conditions because they didn't have labs, they didn't have imaging, right? Uh, they had a lot of people. They had yeah. a lot of people, so they just paid attention. You yeah. know. Yeah. It's actually really interesting, like the reproductive, like I'm a reproductive acupuncturist, this is like specialization. And um, this came from the Qing dynasty. Oh. And the reproductive acupuncturists were like the most, like under the king, they were the most revered people. Revered. Because their job, they were assigned to all the the king's like wives, whatever you want to call them, consort. Yeah. Yeah. And each one would have his own imperial doctor, her own imperial doctor, who was responsible for taking her pulse, customizing her food for the week according to the phases of her menstrual cycle, giving her herbs to regulate whatever wasn't, you know, uh, you know, optimized. And along the dynasty. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Let's get back to forever fabness. So what for you, how did you choose the word brazen? And what exactly does it mean for you and why you applied this to your brand? I love this question. This makes me so happy. I could tell this story like a thousand times a day. Great, it just, tell it to us. Tell I it. love naming things like my first software company was called Conceivable, which I thought was pretty good. But I think Brazen's even better because um, so, you know, I was doing this for my whole career, like 20, almost 25 years um, in the fertility space, fixing periods to improve. And um, I wrote an article for Goop magazine a couple of years ago called What Your Period Can Tell You About Your Health. Yeah. It ended up being one of the most performant articles of all time on the magazine at the time of publication. And hundreds and hundreds of women wrote to me saying nearly the same thing. I'm 26 years old. 
I'm not in a relationship. I don't want a baby. I'm not touching shit called conceivable. <laughs> you can fix periods. Can you help me? I'm really suffering. And just like you, even though I had been in this field forever, I thought, well, everybody who came to my clinic had terrible periods because they're highly correlated. Mm -hmm. And so it never occurred to me like, well, how, what's the incidence of, you know, significant menstrual disruption? And the data showed that 82% of women and people with periods last year reported life interrupting and significant menstrual pain and PMS, 82%. Wow. And I was dumbfounded. Yeah. I was absolutely dumbfounded. I thought, yeah. how the fuck can we be in the middle of a women's movement? How can we rise up be dealing with this and not talking about it? I'm not talking about it or doing anything about it. How can we be complicit with our suffering? Yeah. How have we allowed ourselves to be brainwashed that this is okay, that this is normal, that suffering is part of what it means to be a woman that, you know, I, I just was like, I thought we can't win anything. Like we can't change anything. We can't be president. We can't do anything when we allow all of our sisters mm -hmm. to suffer silently alone with a hot water bottle. And I like, you know, as an athlete, I'm always like, when I was an athlete, I wasn't picking anybody on my team with a hot water bottle for sure. Right. <laughs> right. Because, you know, cause you know, like, and, um, and so, you know, I was really working on names and, you know, we were looking at like 28 and I really liked this. Um, I wanted to call it 2.5 because um, out of like 2.5 billion people with periods are suffering every wow. month, wow. every month. And I really like that. And then I came across brazen brazen means to overcome something shameful with swagger. Oh, like yes. swagger. And wow. I was like, fuck yeah, I love that. Right. Because I don't want to make a, software company that just is a tracker or I want one that like actually changes the way that we access our power, yeah. not in an esoteric or philosophical way, but literally like if this is what women and people with periods can do completely compromised, what happens when you unleash those people on society at full throttle? I want to see that. Yeah. It's like data backed empowerment. Yes. So is this, is this, concept is this this feeling this sentiment what you what you meant when you said if i may quote you uh, directly that the history of the menstrual cycle is holding women back from having access to power is that what you mean that even while suffering we've been able to accomplish great things imagine right is that what you meant um well actually there's a little bit of history that i think is really relevant to understanding the point of it um the history is that um, you know, as a linguist in my first career and I was a cultural linguist, so I was really studying um, the relationship between culture and language and how it affected behavior. And so as a linguist, I was like, well, how do we get here? I'm going to go back and I'm going to read everything ever written about menstruation and people with periods since the beginning of time and trace it to see, like, how do we get here? And so unfortunately, for the first 1,500 years of written language, there was not one mention. Oh, not one mention for 1500 years. And then the first mention was in the book of Leviticus in which it said, um, that thing is so vile. It's as vile as a menstruating woman or the devil. Ooh. Ooh. That's oh the God. first thing ever written about us. And then, so there's the church saying you're filthy. 
And then very shortly after Aristotle, greatest thinker of all time, greatest thinker at the time of like philosophies, philosophies on women's health, um, said women are the inferior species because they menstruate, they're feeble, they only contribute the serum in which the seed, which is the sperm, can grow. The mm -hmm. seed contains the spirit and the intellect. I'm so gonna stop quoting Aristotle. No, me too. I was like, well, fuck you, Aristotle, because you must have never met a woman before. Right, clearly. And um, and I thought, I don't know if you've ever been in therapy before. I love going to therapy. I think it's so fun <laughs> because I want to be free. Yeah. Right. No, That's why therapy is fun because you uncover some gnarly piece of crap you've been holding on to and you yeah. massage it and work it out. And they're like, I'm free. Yeah. I want to be free more. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought. So, you know, if you're ever in like a therapeutic situation, like mental therapy, and you know, you're like, I don't know, I just feel so crazy, I'm so depressed, whatever. And the therapist is like, Well, this is not my situation, I'm just making this up. It's like, yeah. Well, let's see, your dad left when you were eight years old, and then you got a new stepdad who was abusing you, and then your mom became an alcoholic, and then you know, blah blah, blah. and then you're like, Oh, and all of a sudden, you have all this compassion for yourself because you're like of course that's why I'm doing the things that I'm doing of course I've made so many bad choices I, I just like had so many strikes against me and when I read those two things I thought of course that's why we hate ourselves so much mm. we've been taught we've been taught that we're feeble and worthless and filthy since the beginning of time and I, I characterize it as a kind of um, like generational genetic conditioning society. yeah yeah and of course we don't of course like we're always like if i was just a little more or less fill in the blank i'd be okay and that got me really excited <laughs> because then i was like okay i want to change that conversation yeah yes change that narrative you've just listened to part one of forever fab podcast Please stay tuned for part two, coming up next. <laughs>